0: When the news broke on Thursday evening that Her Majesty the Queen had passed away, I quickly realized that what I was preparing to preach this morning was not appropriate for the circumstances we now find ourselves in. On Thursday evening I found myself watching the news and I learned of Operation London Bridge informing us that our nation has now officially entered a period of national mourning. It was at that point I realized I had to preach something different, something that would give us a word of gospel comfort and hope. And so on Friday morning, I woke up and I toyed with various ideas, various passages that I could preach on, but just nothing at that point stood out to me. And so I was uh, actually on my laptop, I just glanced at Facebook and up popped an article from the Gospel Coalition written a tribute to the Queen. And it was there in that moving tribute that I found some inspiration and some reassurance. The tribute tells the story of another preacher. Interestingly, he found himself in a similar yet slightly different dilemma to the one I was in. The preacher was the late Billy Graham, the famous American evangelist. The slightly different circumstance that he found himself in was he had been invited to preach in the private chapel of Windsor Castle for the Queen. That's not what I'm being asked to do this morning. But there was a sense in which his situation was similar to mine in this respect. He did not know what to preach on that Sunday. I found that reassuring. James spent many hours agonizing on what passage he should preach on. And then finally, he, at the last minute, decided. Now, unfortunately for me, the tribute does not disclose which passage he preached on to the Queen, for if it did, I would be preaching on it this morning. But what, the, but what the tribute did reveal was after the service, Graham was invited to have lunch with the Queen, and over their lunch, Graham told the Queen of his struggle that day. He said to her, "I did not know what to preach on. I thought about many passages. In fact, the passage that I chose to preach on—I settled on at the very last minute—informed he her that the passage that he really had thought he should preach on, he should have preached on, was the healing of the crippled man by the pool of Bethesda in John chapter five. Incidentally, I preached on that last Sunday. But at the last minute, Graham decided not to preach on that passage. When Graham told the Queen that detail. He recalled how in an instant, her eyes sparkled. She bubbled over with enthusiasm and exclaimed, I wish you had! That's my favorite story! Now, if I was in Graham's shoes, that's probably not what I wanted to hear in that moment. But listen, here's where I drew inspiration from that tribute. That got me thinking about the queen's faith. Now, now if you were here last week, it's fresh in our minds. What do you think it was in the story of the healing of the crippled man at the pool of Bethesda that spoke powerfully and personally to her? What do you think it was that made that story her favorite story? The the author of the tribute had the very same thought. He, He writes, it's hard to imagine two more different people A crippled man who sat for 38 years next to a pool with no one to help him. And a queen who for seven decades has had scores of servants. Last week, I pointed out that even though it might not look on first appearance that we have anything in common with the crippled man we have more in common with him than we realize the man's real problem was not that he was physically crippled but that he was spiritually crippled his physical disability in many ways was the perfect picture of humanity's spiritual disability and you remember how he diagnosed his problem he put his hope the wrong place the healing waters and his hope in the wrong people and so Jesus came to him and confronted him with the soul-searching question do you want to be healed do you want to be made well here's my guess the reason the queen loved this story so much is because she came to understand herself just as that cripple needed healing and salvation, so too did she. She came to understand that she was a sinner in desperate need of a savior. It's the constant testimony that our queen bore witness to. In 2012, she said, if history teaches us anything, it's our world needs saving. And God sent A saviour with the power to forgive. It hit me. What to preach on this morning? I don't know the exact passage that the Queen will have preached at her funeral. That's planned. Operation London Bridge has that all in hand. But what I do know is that on this Lord's Day following her death, she would want every pulpit across the land to proclaim the Savior she loved and the hope that he offers. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. And if her favorite passage is the healing of the crippled man by the pool of Bethesda, my favorite passage is this one. The raising of Lazarus from the dead. It's one of the most moving scenes in the entire Bible. What we have before us is a tight-knit community who have lost one of their beloved members, Lazarus. And in this passage, we have this scene of all these people coming from far and wide to pay their final respects. And one of those Who came to Bethany. Was Jesus. And in this passage we're told that. As he surveyed the scene. As he surveyed the mourners. Who'd gathered to pay their final respects. It. Hit him. Hard. The full way of the death. Of his beloved friend. Hit him hard. And it's this context we read the shortest verse in all the bible two words jesus wept On days like today in moments like this one where our nation is in a state of national mourning i am so glad those words are in the bible it's comforting to know that Jesus wept in the face of death. And my plan for us is very simple. We're going to work our way through this passage. Not, not, not verse by verse, but we're going to work our way through this passage by meditating on these words, Jesus wept. They are pregnant with meaning. And the first thing I want to show you from these two simple words, is that in Jesus we have a sympathetic saviour. In Jesus we have a sympathetic saviour. Because here we see a saviour who mourns with those who mourn. Here we see a saviour who does not stand aloof to people's suffering. Who was not indifferent to people's pain or loss. But here we see a saviour who was deeply moved and greatly troubled. That he wept. One of the commentators points out that when it says that Jesus wept here, points most likely to the fact that he was quietly weeping. So don't envisage in your mind that this was loud loud wailing. But, don't miss this, it was deep grieving. And The question is, what made our sympathetic saviour weep? Look at verse 33. When Jesus saw Mary weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And if you jump to verse 35, it says Jesus wept. Just notice what this verse says. It says Jesus saw them weeping. Jesus looked in the eyes of those who had gathered to pay their final respects and he saw their tears. He he saw behind their tears the pain of loss, the pain that comes from parting. And he was not indifferent. He was so moved himself that he wept his own tears. You know what Jesus did? in this moment he dignified the tears of others and all who have ever wept sometimes people think of tears as weakness there is no sin there is no shame in tears here's the God man fully God fully man and he weeps he mourns with those who mourn because he sympathised with their situation church, family do you know that you have a sympathetic saviour who sympathises with your suffering who cares deeply about what we are going through Now, I know that in a room this size with people from all across the world, not everyone here is weeping them the loss of Queen Elizabeth. I know some of you probably have got your strong opinions on the institution of the monarchy. And that's fine. But we can all understand that it's right for us as people to be sensitive to the pain of others. Just as Jesus was. The scriptures tell us in Hebrews 4, we have a sympathetic high priest who is able to sympathize with us. We have a sympathetic high priest who calls us to come close to his throne of grace because he offers us mercy and help in our times of need. This fact that Jesus had compassion on these people in their grief ought to bring us tremendous comfort as we mourn with those who mourn. But I don't want you to miss this. Do you know what is behind? Our sympathetic saviour's tears. Just look at what it says right after it says Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved them. he loved him. Behind the sympathy of our saviour is love. In John chapter 11, verse 5, it says this, Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You know, when Jesus looked at Mary and all those who were weeping, he looked as the one who loved them. You know, when Jesus came and, 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 and looked into their eyes and saw their pain, people detected, people discerned that behind his shed tears was love. You'll never understand, you'll never appreciate the Savior until you understand that in every act, in every deed, He ever did and will do, it was, it is and it was driven and motivated by love. Church, do you understand that we have a Savior who's sympathetic because He loves? Do you know what love led the Savior to do? Leave the riches and the glory of heaven and come to the sin-sick and broken earth. Because of love, he took upon himself our flesh and blood. Because of love, we've not been abandoned to a world in which he was unwilling to enter. Because of love, we suffer no pain that he was unwilling to bear. Because of love, we have no grief he was unwilling to carry. Let me let you into an insight of the glory of the gospel. Isaiah 53 says this of Jesus. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Why? Isaiah 53 verse 4 says this. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Our sympathetic saviour came not just to bear our sin, but he came to bear the suffering and the sorrow and the grief of his people. Until you understand so great is the love of the saviour that he came into this world to make our griefs and our sorrow his very own. John Calvin said it so beautifully when he wrote this, Christ has put on our feelings along with our flesh. Christ has put on our feelings, along with our flesh. That's why we've got every reason to draw close to him and find comfort in him. Because he knows us. He understands what it is to be human with the exception of sin. And he's able to do something about it. Cast your cares upon him who cares for you. You know one of the biggest insults we could ever make as God's people to our savior is to have a pity party with ourselves. To go through that experience where you say no one understands what I'm going through. No one understands what I'm suffering. No one understands my loss or my loneliness. No one understands my physical pain or my mental pain. No one understands my disappointment or my betrayal listen, there is not only one who understands. There's not only one who is able to relate to you. There's one who loves and has come to rescue you. So point number one is we have a sympathetic Savior who lovingly and caringly relates to us. But point number two is that we have a sin-bearing Savior. You see, as we look on at Jesus weeping, it's not the full story that his tears were tears of love and affection. Jesus wept also as an expression of his anger, his just and righteous anger. He understood that death, is unnatural Death is a great enemy. Death was never meant to be part of God's very good creation. Death was the calamity that our first parents brought in when they listened to the slithering serpent Satan and his lie. And they succumbed. And here we have Jesus weep because he hated, hated death apostle john who wrote this very passage also wrote this in one of his letters the reason the son of god came into the world was to destroy the works of satan question what are the works of satan sin and death i know that every person in this room you would admit you hate death we all hate death you know why there's such a tidal wave of outpouring of emotion in our country right now and across the globe for the queen because of our death but listen not one of us in this room can say we hate death more than Jesus no one has hated death more than Jesus, no one has grieved its ugly violation more deeply than Jesus, no one has longed for the day of no more death and dying than Jesus and I say that because no one has done more to obliterate and defeat death And Jesus. There's one other instance in the Gospel of John, the other Gospels. We see Jesus weeping. You remember it? It's when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's sorrowful unto the point of death, exceedingly sorrowful. Why did Jesus weep in the face of death? It's because he was the sin-bearing sufferer. It's because he knew that he, the sinless one, was taking in himself the punishment and the penalty. He was going to drink the cup of wrath. He was going to take the curse, even though he did nothing to deserve it. We deserve that. And so here we see Jesus wept. In the face of Lazarus' death, in the face of his own death, because he was a sin-bearing, sin-bearing savior who came to destroy it. So we've looked at our sympathetic savior, we've looked at our sin-bearing savior, now let's finally look at our spectacular, life-giving, hope-instilling savior. You know, when Jesus is standing here surveying the scene and he's weeping, we need to understand these are not tears of hopeless despair his tears did not flow because he was powerless in the face of death his tears were yes mingled with the affection of love and with the emotion of anger but look his tears led him to action we said this last week that when Jesus is moved to action we call that compassion love that is moved to action is compassion compassion You want to see how Jesus showed compassion in this circumstance look at verse 43 Jesus acts standing at the tomb of Lazarus we read these words he cried out with a loud voice Lazarus come out and if you've grown up in church you know why Jesus said Lazarus because if he just said come out every grave would have been emptied every dead person would be alive Lazarus Come out. And what happened? The man who died came out. His hands, his feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Here we see the spectacular action of the Savior as he raises Lazarus from the grave. In the face of death, Jesus plunders the grave and he has triumphant victory. You know what's so moving about this scene? Is that when Martha first came to Jesus, she said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that if you ask God, he'll grant whatever you ask. Jesus didn't just weep over the scene But at the scene, at the very start of the scene, he stared defiantly at death and he mocked the grave with these words to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And I want you to listen very carefully. Jesus does not say that he has resurrection and life. Jesus does not say that he understands the secrets of resurrection and life. Jesus says he is the resurrection and the life. And that means to know Jesus is to know resurrection and life. To have Jesus is to have resurrection and life. And just like Jesus asked a question to the crippled man at the pool of Bethesda, Jesus asks another soul-searching question to Martha. A soul-searching question for us. Here's the question. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? This is not a a challenge to come and debate theology. This is a call to believe. Believe in him and have the sure and certain hope that if you die, you will be raised. Your funeral can be like Lazarus' funeral. We need to know this morning that upon these words our late queen based all her hope. In this passage we see that it's not just Jesus' triumph over the grave of Lazarus but it's the audacious hope that this might be the triumph that we will have over our own grave. Now, Now here's what we need to understand. This happens here in John's gospel because it's the final sign before the final sign. The resurrection. The death and resurrection of Jesus. And it is because he laid down his life and then took it back up again that all who trust in him will have life forevermore. Brothers and sisters, we need to understand that if we believe in Jesus, even though we die, we will live. What happened to Lazarus can happen to you. What happened to Jesus in the third day is a promise of all who believe in him. We will be raised on the final day And raised in glory. That's why I said that this is the spectacular action of the (laughs) life-giving, hope-instilling Savior. And the final thing I want to say is this. The end of the Bible says that there is coming the day of the new creation where there will be no more suffering, no more sin, no more death. You know what it also says? He will wipe every tear-stained eye. The question is why? And the answer is, because when he wept, he bore our griefs and our sorrows. And when He wipes our tear-stained eye on the final day, it will be in victory that all our pain and all our sorrow and all our suffering is gone because of the sympathetic Saviour who bore on His shoulders our sin, our sorrow, our griefs, and because of His spectacular life-giving, hope-instilling death and resurrection, we will be with him forevermore our queen right now rest may she rest in peace but our hope is on the final day she will rise in glory the question is let be true of you do you believe in jesus the resurrection and the life let's pray Lord our God, as we join our nation in mourning, as we mourn with those who mourn, we remember the words of Job. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end, he will stand on the earth. And in my flesh, I will see God, and I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Oh God, how we thank you for resurrection hope, the comfort it brings to us in the face of death. We thank you for the Saviour that you have given us. We thank you for his love for us, for his care and his compassion, for his commitment to carry all of our sin and sorrow to the cross. We thank you for the words of the Apostle Paul that death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Thanks be to God who has given us the victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, God, we come and we just want to say thank you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus. In his precious name we pray this. Amen.